So I want to welcome the uh, River Church audience on, that's on broadcast today to the Word of God. We are in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, River Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and so glad that you're here this morning. So let's, uh, let's pick up where I was left off several weeks ago, actually in September, on the Lordship of Jesus. Let's say that together, the Lordship of Jesus. Let's say it better, the Lordship of Jesus. Now, that's a, that could be a scary term. That could be a term that uh, invokes uh, all kinds of feelings and uh, expectations. Some of them are not positive. But I want to talk about what is lordship. What is lordship? Uh, both in two aspects, being under a lord and becoming or being made a lord. Uh, I get that from Revelation 17, 14. What does it say in Revelation 17, 14? The lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings. Well, Jesus is the, is the Lord, but he also has made us lords. So he is over us, of course. We are under him, but then by us being under him, we are over things. We have become lords and kings in the kingdom. Now, if you would turn with me to Romans chapter 10. I want to talk about lordship. Oh, I know all about lordship. I doubt it. I'm telling you, when I was studying this out, I, I found a lot of things. Matter of fact, the message that I had been meditating on for the last two weeks, I got down to put it in on paper, and I didn't even get to it. I didn't even get to touch it. That's coming another time. Uh, I learned so much about lordship. In, in Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, Let's read it together. Ready? Read. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now there's a lot there, and we, we just can't attend to that. But obviously, if thou shalt confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Now, the, the contrast here is how many people, many people in many churches over the land and over generations, how we've devolved from the scripture that said, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, to just saying, I want him in my heart, or I want him to be my savior, or I want to go to heaven and miss hell. A lot of variations, some of them spoken, some of them just thoughts. But no doubt there's different levels of lordship. Some of them are based on culture. Lordship means different things to different people and different races. They're, it's a sensitive area when you start taking the word uh, Lord and make it master then we have different connotations of that, and it rises up where it's been abused. And then the context. Some nations are different. Some cultures within the nation are different uh, about the word lordship. And so we got to find out what the Bible means. And what the Bible means uh, is the Lord Jesus here, the word Lord here. Let, listen to what the Bible says. The word, oh, I didn't write down the word, but it's, it starts with a K. But the word Lord in this Lord Jesus means supreme in authority. Say it with me. Supreme in authority. 
not just uh, boss over some things. It also means, uh, you'll like this or not, controller. If thou will confess with thy mouth the controller, Jesus. Boy, that puts it in a context that seems kind of funny because we've taken the word lordship to mean a lot of things that God's sitting on his throne and, and, you know, everything's great and fine. But it says controller. And then if you take the variation of that word, another tense of that word, the word literally means government. If thou will confess with thy mouth the government of Jesus. And it also means dominion. So these are strong words. These are not ambivalent. They're not uh, easy, could go two ways. Controller is a strong word. Master is, leaves very little room for, to, to say, well, maybe that doesn't. The word dominion, just, wow. So if thou will confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. So maybe not everybody that's confessed in some sort of setting, confessed, uh, I want to be saved, that would be a context for a lot of places where people, including myself, the context, the atmosphere of how do you get the new birth is do you want to be saved? And the connotation there is do you want to be delivered from hell? Right. And so, you know, because well, I was eight years old, I had no concept of I want to be delivered from drugs or alcohol or wild women or whatever that thing means. The whole, the whole atmosphere there was hell. Do you want to go to heaven instead of hell? Well, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, here's how you do it. Give your heart to Jesus. Well, there, there's a lot of things missing there from the word controller or master or dominion or government. There, there's a lot of responsibility built into those words, whereas give your heart to Jesus sounds pretty picnicky. You're like, let's, yeah, I'll go to lunch with you and we'll, we'll dance or whatever. So, so everything matters. It matters if you just think that Jesus is your savior and he is, but not necessarily the boss. In other words, I've kept me in control. I'm, he's my savior, but I'm living my own life. They did a survey of Christians and said, what do you think that the Lord has for you to do with your life on earth? And 60% of the people said that God expects me to have pleasure in his kingdom while I'm on the earth. Well, well, I guess there's a, a, a little shadow of that in there, but that's not the main event. And of course, there's a negative. There's a negative in all cultures to saying that someone is master or controller or has dominion over your life. And we, we think that is negative or is someone that's going to abuse us or take advantage of us or uh, just use us to say uh, to someone that would say, I'm your master and I'm going to use you to fulfill my desires, my pleasures and my purposes. But that's not the word lordship in this context. So God made Jesus Lord forever. Would we agree with that? We read the scriptures. We know that Jesus uh, earned, he, he entered into the price of lordship, and God made him lord. And this is a real surprise to Christians or people that want a cheap salvation, a cheap savior. 
They didn't sign up for master, ruler, dominion, controller, government. They didn't sign up for that, many people. Now, it could devolve into that. You could get under the word, and, and like I was, I was born again in a little, a little country church, so to speak. It was in town, but it was like a country church. And I got no teaching. I got no schooling. I actually went up to the front. My, my mother had uh, talked my dad into changing from being a Methodist, which he was, to what she was, which is a Baptist. And so I stand in there, I was eight years old, I stand in there like we all were because the invitation was being given to uh, give your life to, to Jesus. And my dad turned to me and said, you want to go? Well, yeah, this is my dad. Like, okay, we, vanilla, chocolate, where are we going? What, what's this all about? I had no clue. I was not ready. I was not in a mode to receiving. But I went down there and, and did the do and and uh, like I just said, the pastor, I remember this. He said, do you want to give your heart to Jesus? Well, sure. What's the cost? No cost, no, no price, no, no consequences, nothing. It'll be easy. Just, just say what, you're gonna, what I will tell you to say, and it'll be over, and you'll have missed hell and gone to heaven. Well, what a deal. What a deal. I, like, who? What's the downside? No downside. Well, there is a, another side, not down, but another side to that, um, uh, and from what we just talked about, we know that there's no believer, especially if you're saved under the circumstances that I was, I wasn't saved then, but I got uh, the, the experience. There's no one that's over anything to a greater degree or level than what they're under something. To be over, you have to be under. If, if uh, James says, uh, submit thyself, yourselves therefore to God, Resist the devil, thank you. Resist the devil, and he will flee. So it's not just resist the devil, it's submit yourself, therefore, to God. So we, we see Christians that are impotent. They're weak. They're emasculated. They're, they're powerless. They, they are full of fear, absolutely fearful, because they have no dominion over anything, including their own emotions, their own well-being. They have no control over anything. They are the proverbial leaf on the river that's just going where the river goes. And it's pitiful. And the devil's just running roughshod, masquerading as God and as uh, this is the way it is and this is the way it'll be. I told you uh, a few weeks ago that the word the Lord Jesus is in the New Testament 118 times. It's not just give your heart to Jesus. He says, Lord Jesus. Let me give you some of those. In Acts 7.59, they're on the screen. Just let me read them. It says, they, uh, Acts 7.59 says, they stoned Stephen, calling, who was calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Acts 11.20, and some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching what? Say it with me. The Lord Jesus. Preaching the Lord Jesus, not just y'all want to miss hell, preaching the Lord Jesus. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, yeah, the word says, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm telling you, there's 118 of these. We're just reading these. Romans 16, 18, for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. Uh, there's a scripture that I looked up this morning in uh, 
uh, 1 Peter 5, I believe, that's talking about the world and said, uh, uh, they are dead while they live, seeking pleasure. I've kind of butchered that, but dead while they live. And I would say that I, I don't want to judge anybody or any group of people, but uh, much of the Christian world churches or the people in them are dead while they live because they're seeking pleasure. I, I gave you a stat. 60% says, my job is to enjoy God's. So we, we, get, we get a case of beer, get in the boat, and we take Sundays off because God, God's in it. God's all for it. And, you know, it just, it, there's no end to it. If you tell people to come to church casually, get ready, because casual means so many things to different people. I never say that. <laughs> come it come casual, but I don't say, here's the door, do what you want. So um, here's my question, here's my message this morning. If you believe that Jesus is Lord, then we naturally then go to a question that says, what does he expect us to do to show and demonstrate that he's Lord. Now, that'd be a wide open question, wouldn't it? That'd be something that people say. Uh, he, he, he expects us to say our prayers at night. Now, lay me down to sleep or something. Now, that's, that's what we think that means. Or it means we say grace over the meal on Sundays when we think of it. Well, so I've got to ask, does he expect us to bow down? Bow down is not a New, term, New Testament term of worship at all. And we'll go into that another time, but does he expect us to bow down? Does that, if I bow down, say, Lord. If I get on my knees and say, Lord, does he say, you've, you've worshiped me, you've made me Lord. Uh, should we take a vow of poverty? That was big in the, well, it's still big in the church. And nobody ever says that, but they just look at anybody that's got money and said, you must be wicked and evil. Does he expect us to take a bow of property? Should we make some animal sacrifices with your neighbor's pet or something, you know, the, one, the barking one? Uh, does he expect us to show uh, that, we, that, that Jesus is Lord through some sort of abstinence or vow of, of pleasure? That, Lord, I, I won't do this, I won't enjoy that. I'll go on vacation, but, Lord, we'll hate it the whole time because Jesus is Lord. We don't want to be having pleasure. We don't want to be, you know, and, and you can go a hundred ways with that and say, well, pleasure's this and pleasure's that. So we got to look in the Bible because you might be confused with all those. I certainly would be. Let's look in Luke chapter 6. Should we bow down? Should we bow before the Lord? Should we... Take a vow of poverty. Oh, God, you're my everything. I, I, I just, I'll never have anything because I love you so much. Well, this has been in the church recently, and I'm telling you, it hadn't gone away mostly. Nobody practices it. You understand, nobody practices that. They just think that's what would be good, but nobody wants to be poor. <laughs> they just want to think that's what is the best, but we're just not living on God's best. In Luke chapter 6, look in verse 43. Here it is in the Bible. It says in verse 43, For a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Now that's profound, actually. You think, well, of course, of course, 
But we live our lives, people live their lives all the time thinking that a corrupt person can somehow bring forth good things. So we write contracts with them, we trust them with our kids or with our lives or whatever. But the Word says it's impossible. You find out someone that's good, you'll say, I don't know if I can trust them. Sure you can, or they're not good. Let's go on. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. Let's see if I'm in the right place. Yes. Verse 45, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. So that tells us where good things come from. We're talking about really good things, not just uh, uh, lip service. And an evil man or an unbelieving man, that's what that literally means, out of the unbelieving treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil or unbelieving. For of, out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. So how do we know what, who's a good man? Just listen. Do you know if you're a good person? Just listen. Just listen. Because the mouth, the heart will tell all. Now here it is, verse 46. Read it with me. Ready, read. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Well, here it is. It's not a vow of poverty. It's not, uh, it's not wearing sackcloth and ashes on our head. It's not refusing to go to the picture show, which has always been a, an old-timey show of lordship. It's not wearing your skirt down to your ankles or, or whatever. Nothing wrong with that. Go ahead. It, but, or putting your hair up a certain way, no long hair. None of that is, is in the Bible saying, this is how you say Jesus is Lord. But it's in our culture. And it's in our culture around the world. And you can see it in the Muslim faith, the, the Islamic faith, how they treat their women and how they make them this, that, and other. They're saying that that's a form or a sign of lordship. It's just a hot dress. <laughs> it's just, we're burning up in that thing. It's not lordship. Jesus said that, uh, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not what? Do that which I say. So lordship is not external, what you put on or don't put on, or what you say and don't say, but it's what you do that he said we should do. The, uh, King, the uh, Amplified says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not practice what I tell you? The TEV, I think that's English version, and says, uh, why do you call me Lord and yet don't do what I tell you? The passion, I got the whole verse on the passion. What good does it do for you to say I am your Lord and Master if what I teach you is not put into practice? So there might be people that's dressed like the 70s that would be pretty wild. I had a pair of pants that I went to school in every day. I actually had two pairs, and they had two-inch white, and alternating white and red stripes. And my other pair had alternating white and blue stripes, and they were bell-bottoms. They were about big as a barrel, and uh, they were white. With the, and I wore those all the time. Oh, Mom, please wash these so I can wear them tomorrow. Ha! 
ah, makes you just want to faint. I think I will. Hallelujah. And I had, I had corresponding clothes to those britches. I mean, I had the shirt and, and everything. Uh, our, our neighbor the other day, uh, she came over and said, well, this is homecoming week, and we, we're dressing for a decade. And bless the Lord, she looked like, uh, uh, like uh, 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 purple. Uh, she looked like the 70s or the 60s, whatever that was. Alla- huh? Yeah, peace. She was, all, yeah, she had the thing, everything. Well, my point, what was my point there? It's not outward. It's inward. Because you can't, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart will do what he says, will keep his word. His word, he is, he is as good as his word. And an unbelieving man, his word's no good. And if, if, if we're, if our word's no good, say it. We're no good. If God's word is no good, he's no good. Everything rises and falls on how you keep your word, what you do with what you hear, everything. Now, we want, we want to get it off of that because we fail at that and get it on something external. Well, I don't smoke, I don't drink, or I don't cuss. Sure you do. We say all sorts of things that's not got a... Uh, that's not four-letter. That's a form of, of uh, unbelief and cussing. It's just acceptable. One time, uh, uh, can I tell this? Uh, my little granddaughter, uh, she, she, Debbie, Debbie was talking, and she turned to her mother and says, Mama, Nanny said the S word. And we all got big as Dallas, just our eyes like, a, I said, what's the S word? Shut up. <laughs> oh, they had taught her we, that's a naughty word so uh, we changed our conversation after that hallelujah so why do we now here's my point this is, this is going to be a good message when we get to the end of it why do we have to obey the Lord or even more poignantly why do we have to obey those that he puts over us we could go to Romans 13 and say, give honor to whom honor is due and all that. Um, the Lord has put people over us and even our parents are over us when we're there or, you know, different places, pieces, people are over us. Why do we have to obey them? Why can't we be lawless and rebellious and be our own man and do what we want to? Um, here's, here it is. Because lordship is the Lord, is the Lord, is Jesus telling us the terms of the relationship. Everybody want, thinks that, uh, uh, that the church ought to be, we ought to do it this way or that way. But we have to do it the way the Lord says do it. That's right. and, and we'll go maybe next week or another week. All the things that we as a church or as Christians do that's not in the Bible, even against the Bible, that we do it. We, we have our own little... Thing. And if you travel, I traveled for about two years uh, when I moved to Alabama. I traveled into churches and as a, as a teacher. And uh, I, we found all sorts of scary stuff that people were doing in churches. That's, that's not only not in the Bible, which that, there's lav- levity in that, but it was against the word. And we just don't want to be doing that. Amen. Amen. Now, here's what it is. God cannot, I'm going to say a blanket hard statement. God cannot bless anyone until that anyone makes Jesus Lord. 
Jesus is the key to everything. He is the pivot on every single thing in the kingdom of God. There is no other corresponding action. Well, I quit smoking and I hadn't smoked in three years. And that ought to make me good. Nope. What'd you do with Jesus? Because there's, there's Muslims and Hindus and stuff that are quitting smoking or something. Are you hearing me? It doesn't, it doesn't do a, a thing for the lordship of Jesus. God cannot bless anyone until anyone makes Jesus Lord. So you wonder why Christians don't have more blessing in their life. Other Christians, just people around, and they're Christian, and they profess him. They go to church. They, they say grace at the table. And you go, why are you not blessed? Why are you having trouble? Why is everything you do cursed or, or negative or whatever? Because I'll tell you, you can trace it back. It won't be directly, Jesus is not Lord. That's a hard statement. That's a broad statement. That's a, that's a, that leaves out a lot of other stuff that you say, well, I think it's this or that. But every this or that comes back to underneath why that we don't do what Jesus says, which makes him Lord, which then keeps us in a perfect place of blessing, of increase, of peace. I know I've taken on a big bite here. Uh, Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7, if you would. God cannot bless a man or a woman, anybody, until that person makes Jesus Lord. And to the level that we make him Lord, Hebrews chapter 7, to the level we make him Lord is the level that blessings will flow. Hebrews chapter 7. Now, look at this. We've read this one many times together. Verse 7 says in the King James, and without all contradiction, the word there is dispute. This is not disputable. It's, there's no contradiction here. There's no gray. Without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. Let's say that last part together. The less is blessed of the better. Why is this lordship issue so important? Well, for instance... We know that the earth, the planet earth, cannot dictate terms to the sun or the moon or the stars. The earth can't say, we need a little more brighter over here. We need, uh, we need uh, less heat in the summer and more in the... You can't dictate. Am I right? Okay. Another example is that the ground cannot dictate terms to the seed. The ground can't say, I want bananas. If there's no banana seed, there's no bananas. So the seed dictates the terms to the ground, but the ground cannot dictate terms to the seed. The ground may try to be dry or be rocky or whatever, but nevertheless, the seed, it might have a poor harvest, but it will do what the seed's meant to do. Now, I found a scripture I looked long and hard for this one. It's in Isaiah 45, 9. Just look at it on the screen, if you would. This is in the New Living. Ah, there it is. Faithful and true. Now listen to this. Just let's read this scripture. What sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator? Does a clay pot argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it, saying, stop, you're doing it wrong. 
does the pot exclaim, how clumsy can you be? How clumsy can you be? How terrible it would be if a newborn baby said to its father, why was I born? Or if it said to its mother, why did you make me this way? That's in the Bible. That's in Isaiah. Ah, lordship is on his side. Well, I don't like that definition of lordship, someone might say. I want to I wanna have the blessings of God because I don't cuss, like they do anyway. And I don't, and I go to church, and I'm a soul winner. And I think that's enough. That, that, that ought to, see, we have our own definition. So we're just like the earth saying, okay, moon, here's the terms. Or like the, the dirt saying to the seed, here's the terms. It's not the way it works. The baby, the, the clay, the clay, <laughs> it cannot dispute with the potter and say, I, I, I want to be a big pot this time. It'll be whatever the potter says. Now, let me, let me read you a scripture in Genesis chapter 11. I'm going somewhere with all this, just y'all hang on. I'm making a point, a long one. In Genesis chapter 11, y'all remember the scripture there about the Tower of Babel? That word is still in our language now, Babel. Uh, in chapter 11, verse 4 and 6 and 7, let me just read it to you. It's, ah, it's up there. Let's build a great city, the people said. Let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. So they were dictate. you may not know this, but this is, this is after the flood. And God had destroyed everybody except Noah and his. But the world had become through Noah's children and grandchildren and on and on. Everybody came from Noah. I know we all came from Adam, but we all came from Noah one way or the other. And, uh, and so the people said, we don't like God telling us what to do. We don't like him flooding the earth and judging us. We want to live like we want to live. And they said, we will live a tower. We will build a tower that's up above the flood. Th this is in there. It's just, you know, not maybe the whole thing because they said, uh, we, we will become famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. So they were a one world government. They were, they were, having, they were taking the kingdom and dictating terms to the kingdom. Like the clay would say to the potter. Do it this way or that. So God came in and he said, uh, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. That's a whole nother message. Uh, hey, we can be united, speak the whole same language and we can get. It says here after this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. In the positive side, that's exactly what we can do if we speak the same thing. First Corinthians 1:10, coming together in the same mind in the same judgment. Okay, come, let's go down and con God said, come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Why is that important? Because God was fixing to lose his people. Y'all see that? They were, they, they were, they were hard headed and they were going to go their only way. And he could not be Lord over this people, which was the whole earth at that time, with them changing the rules or setting their own agenda. So in order to save the whole mankind, 
he had to cut off, listen, their lordship. They were saying, we're Lord. We don't need God because we're, we're building a tower that will uh, get out of his jurisdiction, get out of his domain, get out of his reign. And God said, well, I'm going to lose the whole family. I'm going to lose the whole bunch if they become Lord. They need me to be Lord so that I can take care of them, so that I can fulfill my agenda for the man in the earth. So it wasn't a bad thing. God said, I want to bless them. I want to help them. And so they can't be Lord. He does the same thing today. Now, he doesn't come down and confuse us or, or whatever, but he is working to make our lives perfect. And the only way they can be perfect is if Jesus is Lord. He's not mashing us or killing us or, or uh, withholding from us or, or whatever people say that God does. He's not. But he is steering to make Jesus the Lord. It says in uh, Romans 2, 4, Know ye not that it is the goodness of God that leads men to change, to repentance. Why is that? Why is God being good so people will change? So that Jesus will be Lord and so his goodness will be received. The only way to get blessed is to make Jesus Lord. And the more you make him Lord, the more he blesses. But if you shake your fist at him, or if you don't shake your fist, but you have it in your heart... I'm doing this my way. I ain't taking this from nobody. And we get confused with the church and the preachers and the whatever, the agendas, all they were thinking about is money. You get that confused with God, but God is the head of it, not the church. And he says, if you'll make Jesus Lord, if you'll put him first, I'll put you first. Listen to me. If we put Jesus first, then Jesus will put us first. He, he already has. But it, it just, it's hitting a wall, and it would be our lordship. The law of possession. Say it with me. The law of possession. When you have a baby, when you have a child, the law of possession says that baby is yours. Why? So much so you can name it. You can name it Jedediah, Obadiah, Crayoliah, whatever, uh, uh, Law of possession says you have the right over that child. You can give it its, its, uh, 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 its name, and its given name comes from you. you Smiths don't have Joneses. Amen? Uh, uh, we have what we are, and it's the same rule. It's the right of possession. And God thinks he has the right of possession. Now listen to this scripture. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, please. The law of possession. The law, why does God think like he does? Well, the law of possession gives clarity to that. 1 Peter, here, here we are. Chapter 1, verse 18. I want you to turn there so you'd mark it in your book. The law of possession, why does God think he has a right to our lives, to make Jesus Lord over our lives? Why is it something that if we don't want that, we are in rebellion? Why does he say this is righteous? This is, this is right in the kingdom. It's not arbitrary. It's not mean. It isn't overreaching. It's right. He says, for as much, verse 18, as ye know that ye were not redeemed, say, I was redeemed. Yes, we were. Do, do we need to study that? Do we need to look back and say, 
Whether you were redeemed or not? No, we know, here we know we were redeemed. What were we redeemed by? Well, it wasn't me. I didn't redeem me. My mother didn't redeem me. It says we were redeemed not with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation. Every time you see conversation in the King James, you got to look at lifestyle. From our vain lifestyle received by tradition from your fathers, how were we redeemed, Peter? But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So this gives God the right of possession because it was Jesus's blood. It was it was Jesus's blood that redeemed us. Therefore, since he redeemed us or bought us out, he has the right to possession. If you go down and buy you a, a new uh, a Chevrolet and you, they say, we want 30000 for this thing. And you give the man $30,000, he hands over the title, signed out, and says, it's yours. John, you have, this is your car. You redeemed this car from the dealership, and it is yours. You, you, there's no jerky backs. We don't let Chevrolet come back next week and says, We've already, we could sell this for 31000 We want it back. <laughs> no, it's been redeemed by gold and silver. But he said even more than that, that law of possession, we understand. But the law of possession is I've been redeemed out of sin. I've been redeemed out of uh, being the, that my father, my father was the devil. I was, we were refathered from above, weren't we? So we were redeemed not by gold and silver, but by the precious blood of the lamb. So he thinks he has the right of possession. Let me read this to you in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. It's in the New Living. Hallelujah. You know this one. You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. Now, that's truth. I was bought with a high price. You were bought with a high price. What price was it? Peter said it was the precious blood of the Lamb without spot or blemish. 1 Corinthians 7, 23, the next chapter says, Ye are bought with a price, be ye not the servants of men. Jesus says, I redeemed you. You are mine. I have the right of possession. I can name you because you're mine. I name you after me. You have my name, the name of Jesus. I give you my name. I gave Colin his name. I gave Eric his name. They might not like it. They might say, we want to change. Nope, that's it. You're stuck with it. And we have been redeemed. He gave us his name, the name of Jesus. Now, here's my, here's my closing. I'm on the second page. <laughs> How do the blessings of God flow? Who gets blessed and who gets what the world gives? Isn't that the question? I mean, I know I told you it's Jesus who makes Jesus Lord, but how do we put that into our life? We're talking about the Lordship of Jesus. Go back to Hebrews chapter 7. I know you've already been there, but we're going to go back. How do the blessings of God flow? Who gets blessed and who gets what the world gives? How is that? Well, we go back to that scripture in Luke chapter 6 
where he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Uh, there's the answer. You make God, you make God greater in everything. You just, you just assign him. He's at the top. Not me, not my father, not the government, not the church. God is greater than all things. And then having that in place, you make Jesus the Lord of your life. And then Jesus makes you Lord in your life. Well, isn't there another way? Because lordship's pretty expensive. It's pretty tough to make Jesus the Lord. If you want to be Lord over, you got to be you got to be a Lord that's under. And to the level and degree we make him Lord. You go, well, God's real happy with me. I, he's happy anyway. Did you all know he's happy anyway? You can't make he's as happy with you if you're a liar, a thief and a drunk as he is with Billy Graham. He's just not happier with anybody because of Jesus. But if you want the blessings to flow. That's something that's up to me. I have to make him Lord because then he can legally, right of possession, make me Lord. Not Lord like he is, but a Lord under him, King of kings, Lord of lords. So my dominion or my access or my future depends on what I do with the Lord Jesus and nothing else. There's details, you know, that you can, if you lie, you're going to get in trouble and all that sort of stuff. But that all even goes back to Jesus making him Lord. If he said don't lie, <laughs> you can't make him Lord if you're a professional liar. Okay, so in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 7, we're back to there. King James says, without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. So we're, we're talking about what makes Jesus Lord. Why does he have to be Lord of our life? The Amplified says, excuse me, the New Living says, and without question, listen to this, the person who has the power to give a blessing is greater than the one who is blessed. The one, the one, the person who has the power to give blessing is greater than the one who is blessed. Now, we read that together as Christians in the church, and we say, well, of course, please. Let's go on to some heavy stuff. But this is major. Because every time we don't do the works of Je do the acts of Jesus, don't, don't do what he says, we're saying that we're greater. We're not saying he's greater, because if we thought he was greater, we'd do it his way. So all sin and all rebellion and all that stuff is saying, I'm Lord in this situation at this time. I, I don't like what he said, and I'm not going to do what he said. I'm going to do what I say. Well, I've just elevated myself up to Lord in that situation, and the less, see, then I've made myself greater than him, and the, the word says here, the greater blesses the lesser. So positioning... Myself as the lesser makes him the greater. He is obligated. He is responsible to bless the lesser. I am obligated and responsible to make myself the lesser. Not before him, oh, Lord, I bow down or I take a vow. No, just to say, 
You're the one. I'm doing it your ways. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? The Amplified said, it is the lesser person who is blessed by the greater person. The TEV, whatever it means, the one who blesses is greater than the one who is blessed. The uh, Living Bible, he who has the power to bless is always greater than the person he blesses. The RSV, I think that's Revised Standard Version, it, it was different. It says the inferior is blessed by the superior. Now, do you all know anybody that has proverbially shook their fist at God? Maybe not literally, but just hunkered down, dug their heels in and said, I know what the Bible says. I know what you're telling me the Bible says, but I'm not going to do it. Well, then all of a sudden he's not the greater because if he was the greater, we'd let him have his way. But suddenly I'm saying, I'm, I'm taking the wheel. Get out of the wheel, the driver's seat. I'm taking over on this situation. Well, you, the blessings, they're going to be hard to find. The passion, you all know we, got, we like the passion. No one, can die, the, no one can deny the fact that one who has the power to impart a blessing is superior to the one who receives it. So the more I come under, the more I become the lesser, not by denigrating myself, not by becoming a, 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 a floor mat or a doormat, not by, but by positioning myself and saying, I'll do what you say. That's how, that's how we make him Lord is to do what he says. Well, this is what he says. This is what, it's not like, well, God hadn't spoken to me in a while. Sure he has if you've read the Bible, the New Testament. He's told you what to do. He said, be filled with the Spirit. Well, you can't have Jesus Lord of your life if you just say, I, I don't believe in that filled with the Spirit stuff, that tongue business. Well, then in that case, you're the Lord of that. Healing passed away. God likes us poor. All that stuff is contrary to making Jesus Lord of our life. Just rip a page out. Amen. Luke 4, 6, Luke 6, 46. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? That's it. That's the whole kit and caboodle. But we want to make him Lord. Why? Because everything depends on it. Salvation, healing, provision. Everything that's that and in between depends on. Why do people not get healed sometimes? Why do people can't find the money to pay their bills? Because they, they hadn't read the Bible or they've heard enough about people that say they have read the Bible that tells them God's not into this or that, but you got to read the word of the Lord. You gotta, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord? I can hardly tell you how many people you and I run into that are just wanting to do enough to stay on the top side of salvation. Just like, what do I have to do to barely be saved? The word talks about uh, saved as if by fire. I meet a lot of people that are wanting to be saved as if by fire. Just whoosh, there's the line and here you are right on the line. Don't, don't misjudge though and get on the other side of the line. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. 
That would be not just in the initial salvation. That'd be in everything, wouldn't it? I confess you, Lord Jesus. I confess you. I say, I say I want to do it your way. I'm working stuff out of my head that's unbelieving, that's hard, that's, that's contrary. I'm working stuff out. The Word is washing me. And I'm working stuff in. I'm hungry for the Word, the bread of life. I'm hungry to get it in to replace the void of rebellion. And uh, we'll look at it next week or whenever. But there's a story in 1 Samuel that, uh, where uh, Saul disobeyed God. But he was close, and he had an excuse. He said, I have obeyed you, Lord. It was the people that, ah, they took a few sheep, and they took, but they were going to do it for the sacrifice. I'm giving it away already, so. And uh, God said, you just lost the whole kingdom. I made you king, but it's over. So we got to. We've got to make Jesus Lord. Amen. We're going to receive, well, let's see. Let's see if there's anything in Holy Ghost for our uh, broadcast audience or anything here. Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, that was a good message. I, am, I told Deborah Ann, I said, I learned so much studying this out about how this works. It just anchored me. I hope it anchored you. I hope it gave Boy, it simplified things for sure. I don't have to wear this and not wear that and not say this. There's probably some things we shouldn't say. Y'all say amen. <laughs> but it's not, it, it, our heart is going to uh, tell us uh, what, what's, uh, what our future is. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, amen. There it is. There it is. I see a. I see someone that's got a cracked rib. Man, they tell me those hurt. One time I fell on a ladder. I just fell down on a ladder, and boy, it, I don't know what it was, but it hurt like old Billy for a long time. But someone out there, maybe it's here, ah, uh, has done something, leaned into something, fell on something, and you've got a cracked or a broken rib. And I tell you by the name of Jesus, if you'll just receive it right now, the power of God wants to heal you and restore that and take all that pain away. So I say be healed and be made whole. I tell those ribs to be restored as good as the others and for you to be pain-free in Jesus' name. Now, that's a good word if you're in pain. Because, you know, when your ribs are broke, you can't lay down, you can't... Everything hurts. Your ribs are attached to your ears and your feet and everything all of a sudden. Amen. Let's see what else is out there concerning healing or whatever. Uh, this one's about a job. I love it when God gives jobs. Hallelujah. He's just, uh, Laban changed his wages ten times, but God did not allow it to hurt him. I just tell you, that's a powerful word in the Old Testament. So uh, if you're believing for a job, jobs are better jobs. You got a job, but you don't like your job, or it's hard to navigate your life with your job. I tell you now in the name of Jesus, agree with God and agree with me right now that God is in the job changing or the God enhancing business. And he's got a gazillion of them out there. Doors are his to open. Favor is his to give. 
So we claim, you claim with me, a good, a, a job or a better job in your life. Th- that, that Holy Ghost will, from this moment forth, begin to navigate the path for you to be at the right place at the right time for the right job. Now, be sure you know, you understand that, that he's not going to give you, he's not leading you to a job in a liquor store or a vaping parlor or a, a tattoo place. And he's not giving you a job. He's not leading you to a job where you have to work on Sundays if you want to go to church. Now, if you don't want to go to church, that's another step. But I'm telling you, if you'll believe God, there's a job for you. And just claim it right now in Jesus' name. I have a job or I have a better job in Jesus' name. That means a lot of things. It means, I'm supposing it means more money or it means better hours or it means benefits. A better job. What does a better job mean to you? Amen. Amen. Well, we receive that now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Well, thank you for being in our audience today. We want to appreciate you for tuning in today to River Church in Tuscaloosa. Amen.